self when I came to God. I'm a lot like that prodigal son was. I got to the end of myself. And then sometimes I feel like, have I really ever totally, completely come to the end of myself yet? Because if that's, if I have, then God don't need to work on me anymore. But seems like he's always working on me. So maybe I haven't come to the end of myself yet. But I did come to the end of myself at, at a, to a point when I just like that prodigal son laid my pride aside, laid all that stuff aside and said, I got to go back to my daddy because he's got everything. He's got everything I need. Even if he just lets me be a servant, I know he'll take me in. He'll at least let me be a servant. Praise God. So, amen, amen. What a privilege we have to be in this house today, to be in his presence today. He has allowed us to be here today. Amen. We have not, none of us died overnight. But he could have taken our life. He could have stopped our heart from beating if he wanted to. If it was our time to go, there's nothing we could do about that. But God has given us life and health and breath today. Amen. He has. Whether you believe that or not, he really has. We're breathing his air in and out. It's not ours. Amen. This thing's just an old clay vessel on this earth. This isn't even ours. He just stuck us, our soul, in this thing just so we could walk around. I don't know why I'm saying all this, but, amen, we are privileged. I saw, we were out eating last night, and I saw a three-legged dog. He was still in downtown La Crosse. He was getting around, but he was still getting around, right? You might be like a three-legged dog. You might just be barely making it, you feel like. But that wasn't stopping that dog. He was going right along with his buddies that had four legs. Amen? I didn't mean for that to be funny, but but sometimes we're like that. But thank God he didn't kick us to the curb because we were a three-legged dog. Right? He took that child, He that prodigal son's father took him as he was, stinky and smelly and nasty, and took all his money and wasted it. You know, amen, God is so good today. Amen, we are privileged to be a part of the church. Everybody say the church. Amen, let's sing that chorus, that that song about the church. Well, let's uh, talk about the church in the book of Revelation. It's built upon a rock. It's got a firm foundation. It's built... But it's been through the fire, but one of these days the church is going to move up a little higher. It's the church triumphant, O oh Lord, and it's built by the hand of the Lord. Well, I'm talking about the church in the book of Revelation. It's built upon a rock, Jesus Christ, firm foundation, through the flood, fire. One of these days, the church is going to move up a little higher. It's the church, triumphant, oh Lord, and it's built. By the hand of the Lord, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Well, praise God. Amen. We have been talking this month about the church. Amen. And so we're going to continue talking about the church. We're going to get into our last segment, our last subject today and kind of finish things, this thing up as they say, land this airplane and we're going to bring this thing down to probably what I feel like is probably the most important part of the church, and that's the future, because that's us. And Brother Ian, if you could come, we're going to have Brother Ian receive our Sunday school offering, our adult Sunday school offering this morning. So give, give like it's like you mean it. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. God, God's going to take whatever you give and multiply it and use it for His glory. Amen? Praise God. Praise God. So, hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
So church is not something we do, is it? What is church? We are the church. Brother Ian. So church is not a thing we do. It's not a building we sit in, even though we call this a church building. Right? It is a church building. The government recognizes it as a church building, but that's not what the church is. If you point at yourself and say, "I'm this is the church right here. This is the church. So if the church is individuals, then we're not the whole church, are we? Uh, we're just a little tiny little drop in the bucket to the whole church. Right? So the church is worldwide. Jesus never intended it for be a, to be a little small group in a building, did he? Amen. <clears throat> so we're going to talk about the church. And so in our discussion about the church, we, we began talking about the, the foundation of the church. And this is all in your notes, but I'm just going to kind of breeze through a couple little points on this, and then we're going to move into the last part. So... So the, 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 the foundation of a building is the base on which some structure rests. Right? So this building that we're sitting in has a foundation. It's got a, I don't know if it's got a cornerstone, but it's got a, it's got a, a foundation. It's probably got a footer that this building, I don't know how old this building is, a hundred years old, maybe more. This building has been sitting on that footer, that foundation for all those years and we're still using it. So it must be a pretty good foundation, right? I don't know if we got any cracks in the walls or anything, but but through all of the trains and all the stuff, and, you know, maybe they've had earthquakes here, I don't know, but through all of that, this building's still standing. Kind of like the, the church of the living God. And he, the foundation of the church was what? Was who? Jesus Christ. And so the first time the church is mentioned is in the book of Matthew. Right? And so the church was birthed on the day of Pentecost. But Jesus Christ in the book of Matthew told his disciples, he said, I will build my church. He said that. Now he said, he didn't say I will build a church. He didn't even say I will build the church. He said, I'll build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And you know what? I was thinking about this this morning. I was kind of, and I was talking to my wife and I said something to her and I, the word church came out of my mouth and she looked at me like, what? And I said, I just got it on my mind. I'm sorry. But you know, the disciples, they asked Jesus about a lot of things that he said, you know, and they asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. And he would, he would tell these parables and they would say, man, we don't get that. Would you explain it to us? But when he said to those disciples, I will build my church. Which that's not the word he used in their language of that day. It was ecclesia. So when he said that, nobody asked him, well, what do you mean by that, Jesus? Because they understood what an ecclesia was. And really in that day, they, they would have elders that would meet at the gate of the city and they would be like the city council that meets down in, in the mayor's office or whatever. And they would make all the decisions for the whole city. So they understood what he meant. So I believe that's why he said, he specified and said, this is going to be my church. I'm going to build it. Because he, if otherwise he could have just been any, any ecclesia. Because they, they understood what that meant, city to city. So this is his church. He's the foundation. So if you think about Jesus Christ was slain from the foundation of the world, what does that mean? Where was the foundation of the world? Right. He said before Abraham was, I am. And the I am is who? God. He told the, he told the Pharisees and the scribes before Abraham was, I am. He blew their mind right there. Because he, to them, he was saying, I, the I am, the I am. Self-existent one. So God don't have a beginning and an ending, does he? So he was telling them that. So where really, where is the foundation of the church begin? In the mind of God, in the plan of God, in the will of God before Jesus was ever thought of. So the foundation of the church goes way back in the mind and the will of God. 
So this isn't just something he just thought up in the book of Matthew or on the day of Pentecost when the church was born, this church. It's something that's been in the mind of God for a long time. Okay? And so we're it's a perpetual thing. It's a continually growing thing. It's a continually being added to you. The Lord said he would add to the church, his church, daily such as should be saved. So he's the foundation. Right? And so we talked about the church's head. Well, Jesus is the head, right? Because we are called what? The body of Christ is another name for the church. So if you got a body, you've got to have a head. And the body doesn't tell the head what to do. Your organs don't send messages up to your brain and and commands to your brain and say, do this and do that. No, no, no. In the natural, your brain tells your your organs how to function, tells your heart to beat. Isn't God awesome how he made us? It tells your stomach bowel to do what it does. The brain is awesome. And so the church has a head. And we are the body of that head. And so we... We are, we are directed and instructed by the head of what to do and how to do it. Right? So Jesus Christ is the head. We established that. He is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Right? A king has a kingdom. So the church is God's kingdom. And what do we say the kingdom was? The Bible says that the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's not a natural thing that you can touch it's not like a physical kingdom like they had that in those days like the kingdom of saudi arabia but it's meat it's meat it's not meat and drink but it's righteousness peace and joy in what the holy ghost what's the holy ghost jesus spirit of god so that's the kingdom so here we are right back around to who the, the one who's the head and the one who's the foundation this is amazing stuff amen well, it's amazing stuff whether you think so or not. It is. You just have to agree with me, right? So then we talked about the church's discipline. And that word discipline can kind of go two different ways. That We have discipline in the church. They did in those days. They even did in the Old Testament with the Mosaic Law, the Ten Commandments, and then the 613 additional rules and regulations and and precepts and things to follow to help them keep the Ten Commandments. So they didn't they couldn't just run around and do it on their own and kind of think it up and make it up as they go. They had God gave them guidelines and, and guardrails to stay within. Right? So we have and, and the church is a disciplined body. Right? It's a healthy church. So in order for our body to stay healthy, we have to be disciplined enough not just to do exercise, but we got to be disciplined enough and say, only one piece of pumpkin pie, not three, right? We have to be able to say no to this flesh, right? Because this flesh, if we don't keep it in check, what's going to happen? It'll run away with us. That's right. <laughs> we'll look like the blueberry girl if anybody knows what that is. Right? And so discipline is an important aspect of the church. And it's throughout the Bible. We could just, I mean, like I said at the beginning of this, this is such an expansive subject. There's no way that, I mean, you could spend a year on the church, teaching on the church, and never really touch it all. And I'm going to plug PI again. If you haven't thought about going to PI, you might want to think about it. Because that's one instructor. You know, there's some things that people say when you're when you're sitting under a pastor or you hear somebody preaching, and there's there's just things that that are said that those things never leave your mind. And I can go all the way back to I'm not going to do it, but I could go all the way back to 1989 when my first pastor started preaching, and I could tell you stuff he preached that's still in here, still fresh, still like it was yesterday, because it was that powerful and important to me. But this one instructor who's a pastor, says, and he says it over and over again, and he's right. 
We don't know what we don't know. You can study this book, and there's scholars out there that have been studying it for decades, and they still don't know everything that's in this book. Because a lot of what the, the, the wisdom that's in the Bible, you're not going to get it from just studying it. God's going to reveal it to you. I couldn't, I couldn't see the truth of the oneness of God, the essentiality of water baptism in Jesus' name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost all by myself just studying it. But one day, God just took the scales off like he did Paul, just opened my eyes and let me see it. And I went, aha, I see it. And I went and did what I had to do. I saw it and obeyed it. And it's revolutionized my life for 29 years now. So God is awesome. So we don't know what we don't know. So don't ever think you've arrived at knowing everything there is to know. You can quote scripture from Genesis to Revelation, but that don't mean you know everything. You know? What's that guy's name? Johnny? Johnny James. Has that Bible memorized from Genesis to Revelation. Amazing. I wouldn't even want to try to do that. Amen? Well, I might. <laughs> It'd be miserable. <laughs> so, so, but all discipline and all, you know, the Bible talks about the, that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And then it goes on and talks about correction and instruction. Nobody likes to be corrected. Jesus talked about that. Nobody, nobody likes when your father corrects you. Nobody likes to be corrected and, and scolded and, and all those things, but he said it's okay. Paul said it's okay. It's good for you. It'll help you. It's profitable. It might not feel good at the moment when you're being, you know, reprimanded and, but, you know, your parents used to always say this is for your own good. Because we love you. Well, it's just done in love, right? And so, the discipline of the church is important. And so then we went on and talked about the power of the church. And I said, I made the statement that the power of the church is unlimited. It's unlimited. We have no idea the amount of power, the amount of supernatural ability, the amount of authority that we have. Because Jesus said, all power and authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. So if that's true, and we're the church, and we have Him living inside of us, what does that mean? That means that we have His authority and power in us. And if we realize, I mean, we sometimes we act like we got a little two-cylinder engine in us. But if we ever realize that we have a Corvette engine purring and humming inside of us, it would blow our minds and the devil's mind, probably, if we would just operate and exercise in the power and authority we do have. Because the devil, he also believes in one God, and he trembles. So, sometimes I think about that scripture, and I think, maybe I should be trembling too, right? Maybe I, maybe I don't take this serious enough. I got some power and authority in me. And Jesus went around doing all these miracles and turning water into wine. And he said, and greater things than these shall you do. Because I go to my Father. I'm going to leave it in your hands. Because you're the church. I'm not just going to leave you. I'm going to leave you some stuff to work with. Because you're going to do what I did and even greater things. You know, these signs shall follow them that believe. Not believers follow signs, right? Signs follow believers. So we're going to talk about the church's future. <clears throat> so let's go to the book of 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18. But I heard one preacher when I first got in church call this Flight 416. Anybody ever heard that before? Flight 416. Flight 416 is now boarding, right? At gate, whatever. If you've ever flown, that's how they do it. <laughs> so, 
First Thessalonians 4.16 says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven, from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. God's got a plan. He knows exactly how he's going to do it, down to the, down to the minutest little detail. He knows exactly how he's going to do it. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Where is that? I don't know. It's in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Does that mean everybody? Who's he talking to in this scripture? A church. The church. He might be speaking to the church at Thessalonica, but he's really, those letters were to everybody. That was a part of what was the church in that day. Because that letter went to that church, that, that the congregation at Thessalonica might have been multiple homes, and then that letter got passed around to everybody. Because Paul couldn't make all those trips. He might have been in prison, so he had to get the word out by whatever means. Wherefore, comfort ye one another with these words. So there's the, Jesus is coming for us. If the righteous shall scarcely be saved, those that are righteous based on his righteousness, not our own, where shall the sinner and ungodly appear? So we, we, we can't just assume we got it. We gotta wake up every day and say, Jesus, you're my Lord. You're my God. I'm gonna serve you today. Devil, you're still a liar. You're still a liar. You've been lying all this whole time and you're still lying. You haven't changed your stripes. So the New Testament church in its early stages had great revival and growth. Amen? They did. Great revival and growth. One observer was quoted in the scripture as saying that these, he said these, these who have turned this world upside down, he's talking about with their gospel. With their message, with their, with their experience of, of this, this Jesus group of people, these Jesus followers. They had turned this world, one observer, just some, some guy, some religious guy, like, he made the comment, he made the observation that, that they have turned this world upside down. Are we doing that as the church today? You have to ask yourself that question. Am I, as a part of the church, turning my world upside down? And it, it wasn't a, a forceful thing. They just went about doing what Jesus did. Loving people. Just talking about the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So that was the only example he had was what, well, how did Jesus do it? I'm going to do it the way he did it. So that's what he trained his other people. He told them, go out and do what Jesus did. They, and it was all word of mouth. They didn't have a book. They didn't have an iPad to look up scripture. It was word of mouth. They had to trust God. So with great revival came great persecution in that day. And was predicted by the founder Jesus Christ that they would have. He said, he told them, he warned them, he let them know ahead of time, ye shall suffer persecution. Get ready. Right? Don't be ashamed of my name before men, and I won't be ashamed of you before my Father which is in heaven. You're going to suffer persecution for my name's sake, but happy are ye if you do. And really it was the persecution coupled with uh, this powerful gospel message that caused the church to be scattered abroad in the book of Acts. And the persecution was part of the master plan. What? Yeah. It's part of the plan. Why? Because the church, he didn't want the church to become complacent and comfortable where they were. Because that's exactly what was happening. They were kind of being comfortable in their own little towns. And they said, well, this is just wonderful. We got our little little home churches going on and everything's fine. And Jesus said, no, it ain't. <laughs> I need you to go to all these other places. We don't want to go there because it, it's hard. I don't care. Someone sense of persecution. He didn't just come into their mind and say, I want you to pick up and go 
There. No, he sent some persecution to make them leave. So is he gonna, is God a respecter of persons? Mm. So is he gonna send persecution our way? Could it be that he might? Maybe. We might call it something else, but <laughs> sometimes we have to look at situations and things happen in our life and think, what's God trying to direct me to do through this situation and circumstance we call it? Is God in this? Well, of course he is. Pure as child. Someone once said that a comfort zone is a beautiful place, but nothing ever grows there. Think about that. A comfort zone is a beautiful place, but nothing ever grows there. We don't want to get in a comfort zone in our walk with God. We don't want to be comfortable. We don't want to be relaxed. We don't want to feel like, okay, I'm just waiting for the bus. I got my ticket. I'm sitting in my seat. I just need the bus to come so I can go to heaven. And I I want to make it to heaven, don't you? I want to make it to heaven. That's one of our goals is to make it to heaven. But that can't be our primary goal. Amen? We are still the same Book of Acts church that started in the first century of of this age that we live in, here in the 21st century. So since the founder is no respecter of persons, it's he's going to make sure that if if it wasn't easy for them, if it wasn't comfortable for them, it's not going to be comfortable for us either. It's going to push us outside of our comfort zone. For a lot of us, it's outside of our comfort zone to talk to people and then to talk to them about Jesus in this day and age that we live in. Because why? Because the minute you bring up Jesus to some people today, what's going to happen? You're going to suffer some persecution almost immediately. So we shy away from that. Why? We got the best thing that they could ever have in their life. We got to tell them. We gotta tell them, no matter what, they might spit in your face. Those disciples that that got beaten, they counted themselves worthy to be to suffer that for the name of Jesus. Why are we any different? We're, I'm talking about the future of the church, and thank God for their continual future of the church, right? Because before any of us in this room were born. Somebody was out there living for God. Somebody was out there living this truth every day in their life, put, going through some stuff. And somebody somewhere was there when, on that timeline when our path and their path crossed, and they talked to us about Jesus. And we had the opportunity right there at that point to make a decision which way we were going to go. Because they believed in the future of the church. Thank God the Lord added Every, I could point at everybody in here. Thank God the Lord added to the church daily that day. Such as should be saved. So we are the future of the church. We have to, like Brother Bennett was talking about PI, we gotta replace ourselves. I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm gonna graduate. So he wants us to replace ourselves and keep that thing going. Send somebody else there to get some knowledge and wisdom and understanding and, and things like that. And so we gotta do the same thing as the church. We gotta keep replacing ourselves. Right? Someday you're gonna, your job's gonna be over. You're gonna have to, you're, they're, they're gonna replace you. The, the responsibilities of that job aren't just gonna, they're not gonna just stand there and go, oh my gosh, she's gone, now what do we do? No. They've already got somebody lined up to step in and take over right where you left off, right? And that's how we do in the church. That's, we got to add to the church. Amen? Heaven is real. Amen? Anybody agree with that? And so is hell. You've been reading my notes. <laughs> oh, that's right. You do have them. I couldn't remember if I put that on there or not. <laughs> Heaven is real. And so is hell. And hell was not created for human beings. Jesus said... Hell was created for who? The devil and his angels. It's not for us. It's not meant for human souls to go there. So there's a lot of people out that door right now that are there. They are scheduled 
if I could say it that way, to go to hell if Jesus were to come back right now. Because really, what does, it, what does that scripture say? No man knows the hour, the minute, the day. I know, I know, I know. He got me on. <laughs> he said he's coming soon. <laughs> but we still don't know. We could hear a trumpet sound in the next five seconds, and everybody that hasn't come into this place, that hasn't heard this truth, they are destined for a place that was not created for them. What are we doing about that? Just leave you with that question. So we talked about uh, several months ago about, about the harvest. And we are God's harvesters. We are his reapers. We are the ones that he is expecting to get the job done. So Amos chapter 6 verse 1 says, Woe unto them that are at ease in Zion and trust in the mountain of Samaria. They trust in the things that symbolize God, but they don't trust in God. Which are named chief of the nations to whom the house of Israel came. Wow. Woe to them. Woe is a bad thing. Whoa. It's bad stuff. When you, when you see that in the Bible, it's bad stuff. Woe to them. Punishment, suffering, I mean, all kinds of stuff. Woe is bad. To them that are at ease. I, I, I kind of looked at that, that phrase, that word, at ease, and it says there in your, on your sheet that says it refers to the lack of care or worry possessed by the fortunate members, the fortunate members of a society who dwell in security. Be careful when you start feel yourself saying or hear the word saying, oh, peace and safety, everything's wonderful. As the Bible said, then cometh what? Sudden destruction. Sudden destruction. It's going to be just like, boom, one day, there'd be like an explosion that just happened outside this door, and it would shock everybody. We'd all scream and holler, and, oh, what happened? Sudden destruction. A condition that can be considered dangerous talking about that comfort zone where nothing ever grows we got to be careful that we don't let ourselves get into that comfort zone and i as i said earlier i want to make heaven and so do you but let's not let the the desire to make heaven get us sidetracked from what we're supposed to be doing right i'm supposed to be telling everybody that i can tell that Jesus loves them, whether they like it or not, whether they want to hear it or not. And if they don't want to hear it, I just move on to the next one, right? You know, not everybody in the mall bought every single item that was on Black Friday sale, but some people did. Some people didn't care about that item, but some people did care. So there's people out there that want to hear this. They, they're, they've experienced religious tradition, and they've experienced religion till they're blue in the face. They want something that's real, that's more than just a religious experience. And we've got that. We've got that. I said we've got that. This is different. This is, I, I experienced a lot of religion until I walked into a little church in Okinawa, Japan, and heard a message I'd never heard before and felt something I'd never felt before. And it changed my life. And at that moment, it changed my life. And I had no idea, no clue what the repercussions of one little decision that I made was going to be. And I've got two sons and two daughters-in-law and fixing to be six grandchildren. All of them are living for God so far. Because I made a decision, and I found myself in a place where somebody offered me something, and I said, man, this life I'm living, something better. Been talking about better, right? This life I'm living, something better. Tired of living this life. And there's a lot of people out there that do a lot of stuff that really are tired of living their life. They just don't know how to get out of it. And they're waiting for us to come along and say, hey, you ever get tired of drinking? You ever get tired of doing the stuff you do? Let me tell you about something. Let me, let me tell you what happened to me. Our, our testimony is one of the most powerful things we have. Because you can't take it away. You were there when it happened. 
I talked about the car accident or whatever situation. You don't have to write down a testimony of something that really happened to you that was powerful. You don't have to write it down and reread it and read a script to tell your testimony. You don't have to do that because it's in here. You can remember every detail, the smells and the tastes and all the things that happened in that situation, that moment. So our testimony of when God delivered us and turned our life around is, is powerful. I could walk you to the spot where they walked me in that East China Sea today. I can remember it. Like I, I could be, I'm standing there in my mind right now. It's awesome because that's my testimony. Praise God. Luke 9, 5, uh, 957 says, And it came to pass as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. He said, I'll volunteer. I'll be a reaper. Right? That's what we did. Whether you believe it or not. And he said unto him, Foxes have holes and birds have their nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. What was he telling him? He's like, this is not going to be easy. Do you know what you're signing up for? I don't have a place to, I don't have a hotel room to go to. I don't have my own house. I, I go from day to day. And, and so this is what you're signing up for, son. So make sure that you know what you're signing up for, right? And he said unto another, follow me. But he said, that word but just goes, we have that problem with that word, don't we? I will, but. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it, but, 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 but. We'll butt ourselves right out of a following God. But I got to do this first. But suffer me to, to go and to bury my father. And another said to the Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go and bid them farewell, which are at home in my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit or useful for the kingdom of God. Once we make our decision, we keep, don't turn back. Don't turn back. What, there was one person in the Bible that turned back. What happened to her? She's still a pillar of salt today, probably. Right? Don't look back. Make your decision and go with it. You are a member of the church. We are the church. We're talking about the church. Amen? So what excuses are we using for why we aren't conducting ourselves as the church that he expects us to be? What excuses are we allowing the devil to convince us are okay to use as excuses for why we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing? Because he will help us. He'll help you and he'll say, oh, yeah, that's a good one. He'll agree with you. Because I, I'm not good at talking to people or, or whatever, just you could run the gamut, right? I'm not a social person, or I, I get nervous when I have to speak in front of people, or whatever you want to say. Any excuse will work. The maximum effective range of an excuse is what? Zero meters. <laughs> it's one of those things I learned in primary leadership development training. It was a sign on the classroom door. I saw it every day for four weeks. <laughs> and it's true. Excuses aren't going to get the job done. What excuse did the disciples have after the day of Pentecost? None. Did they use any? Nope. 3,000 people couldn't wait to go tell the next person. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved, such as were being saved. How were they being saved? Those disciples weren't saving them. But what were they doing? They were just... Spreading the message, telling the message, going to their neighbor, going to the guy at the, at the fruit market, just telling whoever they could tell. If they didn't want to hear it, they just move right on. Well, you don't want a vacuum cleaner, I'll sell one to somebody else. Right? That's what they were doing. They were being the church. Church is not what we do. It's who we are. Because when we, when you walk out that door, you're still the church. All by your little self. You're still the church. Right? So just tell yourself that. Convince. 
get that stuck in your mind forever. I, I represent the church. I am the church. I'm the ambassador to Jesus Christ. We had one missionary that was traveling with his wife, and they were getting on the plane, and he was kind of dressed like this without a tie on, and they were traveling, and they were getting on the plane, and somebody asked him, said, oh, and they, they were both very well dressed, and are you an ambassador? And he looked at his wife, and he said, well, well, yeah. As a matter of fact, we are, yeah. And they never asked if they were ambassador to a country. They just said, oh, well, we want to move you up to executive class. Oh, okay. And they, they just let themselves, and, and they sat down and kind of chuckled about it, but they, and then they thought about it, yeah, we really are ambassadors. They weren't lying. They were. If they'd asked them ambassadors for who, they would have told them, but they never asked. So, you know, if you're doing what God's telling you to do, sometimes he'll just show you a little favor there and say, I don't want you to sit in that coach seat. I want you to sit in this nice seat up here. So there's there's benefits to doing the will of God. You know, Jeremiah preached for 30 years and not didn't win one soul, right? And when they took all of Israel and all the people into bondage, guess what happened to Jeremiah? He got preferential treatment. You read about it. Go to the book of Jeremiah. God said, because you did what I told you to do and said what I told you to say, I'm going to make sure they treat you extra special. And they did. So there's a, there's a price to pay up front, but there's a, the, the wonderful price that you get at the end is much better than anything, you know. The pain and suffering of this present world, the Bible says, is not worthy to be compared with the glory which is to be revealed in us. So you might, what's that say? You, got, you might have to go through some stuff on this earth. But this is only a temporary place. Temporary. Temporary. Your body's hurting? Temporary. Doesn't mean he's going to take the pain away. Right? My knees are starting to hurt. God's merciful, but I, as I get older, I don't know that he's going to take that pain away. He might leave that there. Because what did he do with Paul? He sent him. He sent it to him as a gift. A thorn in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to buffet him. Why? That he might, with all the revelation that God was giving him, that he might be, not rise up above measure, that he might not, that he wouldn't get all prideful and thinking, this is me. I'm all that in a bag of chips. Right? So if he did that for Paul, not to Paul, he did it for Paul. He'll do that for us too, won't he? Give us a little something to help keep us humble. Because that's what it's all about. Because when we came to him, we humbled ourselves. He wants us to stay that way. Because that's how we're going to win souls. It's that humble spirit. It's that, that lowly spirit. It's not weak and it's meekness is not weakness. It's strength. So the church might, you know, he tells us to go forward as, as lambs among wolves, right? Be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. You don't have to beat somebody over the head with this. If they feel the love of Jesus coming out of you, just like just flowing out of you like water out of a fountain, you don't have to hardly say anything. Just be around them. And they'll know something different. And they'll want to know, why are you so different? Why, why do I feel this whenever I'm around you? Well, I'm a part of the church. What's that? I mean, you could just, the doors are just opening as you're answering questions. Amen? So it's not going to be convenient. Right? And we're going to, um, Luke 10, verses 1 through 2 says, After these things the Lord appointed other seventy also, and sent them two and two before his face unto every city and place whither he himself would come. So he's doing that with us today, isn't he? He doesn't want to leave anybody out. He wants to send us to every place where he himself is going to go. Because if he sends us there, we're taking him with us. And as I said at the beginning, God is omnipresent, so he's already there in that city that doesn't have a church. He's just sending us there to work with him. He's building the church, right? He's sending that preacher and his wife there to work with him in concert with him to do his work in that city. Therefore said he unto them, the harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. 
Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth slackers. No. Oh, wait. That he would send forth bystanders. No. Not bystanders. That he would send forth casual observers. No. That he would send forth what? Laborers into the harvest. What's a laborer? It's, they have this company called Labor Ready, right? And you just show up at this office and they got a bunch of jobs that they have contracted for to send laborers to. And you just get on a bus and they fuss all of you to that job and you get off the bus and they just, you do whatever they tell you to do. Go pick up boards, go pick up nails, whatever it is they tell you to do, you go do it. That's so that people that want to work can work. Right? So we got to want to. One preacher said, you got to have a want to. You can't be me- mediocre and, and measly about this. you got to have a want to. you got to want to be a part of the church. I don't know what God, I, I can't, you know, Abraham and you know, Moses said, i got this speech impediment. <laughs> oh, God, I don't know what I'm going to say. How am I going to say it? i got this, this stuttering problem. Oh, that's okay. I'll send your brother with you to help you. You know what the amazing thing about that story is? When Moses got in front of Pharaoh, who was doing all the talking? <laughs> Aaron's like, I thought you said I was going to be the one. So God will give you the ability, the supernatural ability beyond your natural ability. If you'll just go out there and, and by faith step into the situation, he'll give you what to say. Didn't the Bible say that somewhere? Don't worry about what you're going to say. He'll give you what to say when you get in that situation, right? That's my paraphrase of that. So he said that he would send forth labors. Pray ye. Now, this is a prayer request from the Lord. Right? Pray ye, therefore, the Lord of the harvest. Does that, does that mean we have to pray this? I believe it does. I pray it every day. Lord, send labors into your harvest. Where, where is that? I don't know. He does. I just pray it every day. Pray, Lord, send laborers into your harvest. Do whatever you got to do. Get them out there. Get them out of their comfort zone. Take them out of their place of mediocrity, their place of complacency. They're your church, God. Get them out there doing something. Amen? If souls are not the most important thing to us, then more than anything else, if the, if the, the souls of men and women out. There's 51,000 plus people that live in the city of La Crosse. That's not counting all the other connected cities around. That's not counting all of the, the college students. What are we doing about it? If their souls aren't the most important thing to us, then, then we got some soul searching to do. The enemy will definitely help us, as I said before, with our excuses of why we won't, why we can't. You know, my dad used to say, can't never did nothing. As a kid, I'd always say, I can't. Whenever he'd tell me to do something. <laughs> but I can't. And he'd say that over and over. I can't never did nothing. Get out there and do it anyway. <laughs> the amazing things you remember. <laughs> Still quoting that stuff from my dad. I said, I'd never want to be like my dad. And then one day I found myself going, ah, I'm like my dad. But can't never did nothing. Right? So we're talking about the church's future. We, you know, we had all these lessons about the church, but really the, the most important lesson of all is where are we da- today and where, where are we going to be tomorrow? Is the church going to grow? Is it, are we going to do what God called us to do? Are we going to just do church? Because church is not what we do, is it? It's who we are out there. Amen. And the Lord's going to add, if we'll do our part, if we'll, Spread the news. If we'll drop seeds in the minds of people, if we'll pray and if we will uh, water and, and plow the ground through prayer for those individuals, God will work it out. He'll, he'll make it so that the, he'll put a hunger in them. Because he put a hunger and a thirst and a desire in us, didn't he? They that do hunger and thirst after God shall be filled. And no man comes to him except he draws them. So he has to put that desire in us first. 
If he put, if he had enough love and compassion to put that in us, to draw us to him, he's interested in those other souls out there. He really is. All the alcoholics, all the drug abusers, all those kind of people, he's interested in them. He, we love him, the, the Bible says, why? Because he first loved us and gave himself for us. He gave himself for them too. Not just for us. Praise God. 1 Corinthians 3, 9 through 11 says, For we are laborers together with God. It's His church, but we're laboring together with Him. He's given us all the power and authority and dominion, and He's given us all the, the tools that we need to do this. Right? You are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given unto me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon, but... Let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that that has already been laid, which is Jesus Christ. We don't have to worry about the foundation. We just have to worry about doing his will, spreading the gospel, telling people about Jesus. So we are his royal sons and on whom he has placed his royal robe of righteousness. He is expecting us to be who he has made us to be. We are his church. We are his body. What are we waiting for? I left you that last question there. What are we waiting for? I asked myself that. What am I waiting for? So, praise God. Lord, we love you today. We thank you, Father, for this opportunity to to talk about your body, your plan, your church, your people, Lord. We ask that you would Give us opportunity, Lord, to send us forth. Don't let us walk away from here forgetting all these things that were said, but let these things lodge in our minds, Lord. And let us remember always that we are your body. We are your church. We are your people and the sheep of your pasture. We are the ones that you left on this earth to send forth and to take this gospel to a lost world. Help us to truly be the church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have a break until 1030.